Today's scripture portion is taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he, he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, up, stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thank be you. to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Jonathan, and I'm one of the elders here at Christ City. It's my joy to be able to bring God's word to you. And it's also a joy to be able to kick off our fall uh, mini-series called Encounters with Jesus. This uh, little mini-series is uh, essentially going to help us frame uh, the time before we get back into our main study of the second half of 1 Corinthians. And so we thought it would be appropriate to look at how people interacted with Jesus. And in this little mini-series, we're going to take a look at uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus, which is today, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and, and Lord willing, Jesus and the sinful woman forgiven. We would do well to remind ourselves of how to live in the face of Jesus, and, um, and hence the uh, hence the the uh, the series that we're going to do uh, that we're going to talk about. Um, before we do all that, we need to pray. Uh, I need God's help, and you need God's help. Father God, we do need your help. You are good. You are merciful. You calm our fears. You love us. Would you give us insight today as we look into your word? Help me to speak exactly the words that you would want me to say in the manner that you would want it to be said. And we pray that you would both convict us and encourage us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 20 years ago, I stood outside the back of what is now called Rogers Arena with a large color program in hand. And amidst a small crowd that had gathered and the smell of garbage emanating from this back of this uh, stadium, I stood waiting, hoping just to catch a glimpse of four-time world champion and Olympian Kurt Browning. He had just finished performing for the show Stars on Ice. Well, my persistence paid off. You see, Mr. Browning, just like most stars, do not exit through the front entrance. They tend to sneak out the back. And he delighted the handful of fans that had gathered there, including me, by greeting us and signing autographs. I still have this autograph to this day much to the chagrin of my friend who was also there, who was much more of a Kurt Browning fan uh, than me. In today's passage, 
we are thrown into the midst of a scene where a man named Zacchaeus encounters Jesus as Jesus makes his way through Jericho. And the way in which Zacchaeus responds both to the opportunity and to the encounter itself should inform us, should cause us to reconsider our responses to Jesus. You see, unlike my encounter with Kurt Browning, Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus resulted not just in an autograph, rather his encounter with this famous person named Jesus would change the very trajectory of his life. He would be converted from a man who ruthlessly pursued his own interests, even at the cost of betraying his own people, to a radical, repentant follower of Jesus, welcomed as a son of Abraham. And indeed, Zacchaeus' conversion should give us hope. It should give us hope. If God can save a man like Zacchaeus, it should stir hope in the heart of every person here. Every person that hears the good news. Every person that genuinely desires and wants to meet God face to face. Isn't this a story of every believer? Those that genuinely encounter and receive Jesus will forever be changed. And so my aim this morning is to consider this question. How will you respond when you encounter Jesus? When you are presented with the opportunity to encounter Jesus, how will you respond? The story of Zacchaeus highlights several things, and they will form our outline this morning. First, we'll look at Zacchaeus' relentless, almost ruthless pursuit of Jesus. And the application point, pursue Jesus with all your heart because in him is great value. We're going to look at his ruthless, relentless pursuit. And second, we'll look at Jesus' gracious invitation to Zacchaeus. When we recognize and obey Jesus, when we recognize and obey Jesus' call today, we can receive him in faith. Third, we'll look at Zacchaeus' radical repentance. His radical repentance. When we meet Jesus, we are to live out our faith in radical repentance, believing that Jesus is Lord. Fourth, Jesus' bold assurance. Jesus' bold assurance. Just like we sang this morning, we can live with the blessed assurance of Jesus if indeed we receive him. You ready? Let's dive in. Relentless pursuit of Jesus. So verse 1 begins with this setting. Luke gives us this detailed setting that Jesus was entering Jericho and he was passing through. Now this detail is going to come uh, into play later on. We'll, we'll see why it's important that Luke mentions this. But for now, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Next, we're introduced to this guy named Zacchaeus. Luke describes him as the chief tax collector and a rich man. He's got money. Verse 2, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Well, in context, Zacchaeus would have actually been quite a hated individual. And here's why. 
You see, tax collectors, they worked for the occupying Roman government. And in addition to collecting the taxes for the Romans, they would quite typically um, extort extra funds from their fellow Jews and they would pocket the difference. It's kind of how they make, make money. You could call it forced tips, shall we say. Now, commentators note that nowhere else in scripture does the prefix chief accompany the word tax collector. In, in Greek, it's actually all one word. And so most presume that as far as tax collectors go, Zacchaeus was rather high up in the chain, shall we say. But even with that context explained, we can kind of have this emotional detachment in the 21st century when we kind of hear about these facts, right? We can kind of know in our heads that yes, he's, an, he's a heated individual, but we don't feel it. So let me just illustrate a little bit. Imagine for a moment a Ukrainian man working in cahoots with the occupying Russians to exploit his own people in Russian-occupied Ukraine. Now add to this mental picture that this man is not only a traitor, but the head of a Ponzi pyramid scheme. In other words, he not only exploits his own people, but has a whole legion of people working under him, all exploiting their uh, people as well, each gathering and extorting money from their fellow Jews, or fellow Ukrainians in this case, each giving a portion of their ill-obtained profits to their upline until you reach the very top. And at the top sat a man named Zacchaeus. So to say that he was rich was probably an understatement. Zacchaeus likely had all the pleasures, all of the comforts, all of the things that money could buy. But oh, the guilt. Oh, the shame. And the loneliness. And the fear of his own people. He knew he was a sinner, both in the eyes of the people and in his own eyes and before God. And this also likely implied that this man would find it quite difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven. Just a few verses before in Luke, in the account and the gospel account that Luke writes, we learn of a rich young ruler who could not lay aside his earthly treasures to gain the treasure of heaven. And so not only was his money a serious threat to his salvation because it represented perhaps some of the idols in his life, but the guilt associated with how that money was acquired, the betrayal of his own people, God's chosen people, the selfish climbing of the corporate ladder to gain the position of chief tax collector, man, that would have weighed on him heavily. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you, in some small way, can relate to Zacchaeus. Though you seem happy on the outside, the guilt of your sin weighs heavily on you. Maybe you've turned your back or betrayed more people than you care to remember. 
Perhaps you are well-to-do financially, but you feel terribly lonely. And in your own eyes, you feel deeply ashamed. Let the story of Zacchaeus encourage you. You see, if Jesus is mighty to save a person even like Zacchaeus, he can save you. Well, as the story goes, something must have stirred in Zacchaeus' heart about Jesus. Maybe he'd heard the rumors that Jesus had managed to save a, a fellow tax collector named Matthew. And Matthew was able to get out of the mess that he was in. Well, whatever it was, Zacchaeus knew that he had to do whatever it took to just get a glimpse of Jesus. He was desperate to see Jesus. Only Zacchaeus had two problems. First, he had to get through a rather hostile crowd. You know, <laughs> I'd imagine if you kept scamming people and extorting money from people, uh, people tend to remember you. You know, first century cancel culture, right? Uh, and I'm sure that in his dealings, he would have no shortage of enemies. So that's problem number one. But secondly, Luke records this little detail that he was of short stature, verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on, on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, as someone married to one who is four foot ten, I can empathize. Not only does Karen need my help to retrieve things that are Above her reach, I've also discovered after 20 years of marriage that Karen simply does not see anything about five and a half feet. It can become quite humorous when I'm unloading the groceries of the latest Costco buy just to find that Karen has bought yet another quantity of something that we have stored in the pantry shelves uh, on, on shelves between six and eight feet. Humor aside... We can imagine that Zacchaeus had difficulty not only seeing above the crowds, but he risked abuse. He risked hatred and bullying from the crowd. And so with that context, consider how humbling it must have been for Zacchaeus to run ahead and of all things, climb a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus, verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. What a funny scene. Can you just imagine that in your head? You just imagine this short man. He's probably well-dressed, right? He's rich, so he's probably got a nice suit on, maybe cufflinks, some decent shoes. He was of significant position, he had climbed to the top of his profession. He had significant wealth. Here's this guy that goes and climbs up a tree. He lays aside any sort of embarrassment or ridicule of any sort of dignity, further rejection, just to see Jesus. He was relentlessly determined to see Jesus. You know, uh, Brant texted me earlier this week just to check up on how the sermon was going. How, how is Zacchaeus doing? And I, I, uh, I said, jokingly, I said, well, I've commissioned Stephen Smith to play the part of Zacchaeus. And now we just need a sycamore tree. And, 
And he goes, he goes, that is really funny, but it's also terrible. <laughs> and I thought about it for a second. Don't worry, I, I, I checked with Stephen ahead of time. I had permission to tease him. <laughs> That's a terrible picture. But on the other hand, that is kind of the point. Can you imagine somebody as respected, at least in his profession, as Zacchaeus climbing a tree just to see Zacchaeus. See, Zacchaeus saw in Jesus something that he did not have. Something of immense value. He recognized that Jesus' stature, Jesus' dignity, as being something worth denying his own stature for. Maybe he thought about Deuteronomy 4.29. That would have been ingrained in the people at the time. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Or maybe Isaiah 55.6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so let me just pause for a second and ask you, do you see great value in Jesus? Have you considered how desperately you need him? Do you ruthlessly and relentlessly pursue him, pursue Jesus just to see his face with all, all your heart and with all your soul? You can ask the question the other way. What's holding you back from seeing Jesus? You know, height may not be an issue for many, though, for Karen and the Smiths, uh, it really might be. <laughs> but maybe for you, it's fear. Fear of what people think. Or fear of losing your status. Zacchaeus' story shows us what is of greater value. Are you willing to forsake all that the world classifies as dignifying in order for you to relentlessly pursue Jesus? Well, that brings us to our second point, Jesus' gracious invitation. Jesus does pass by the sycamore tree, and we get a surprise. He offers Zacchaeus a delightful surprise. He offers him a gracious invitation. And when Jesus came to the place, verse 5, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to be very tongue-tied uh, when I meet famous people. I, you know what? I'm already socially awkward <laughs> at the best of times, and trust me, this is even worse when I meet famous people. I, I even shudder to think what I, I had said or not said to Kurt Browning when I got his autograph. And, <laughs> and yet there is something so comforting about Jesus' surprise, isn't there? Jesus makes the first move. He makes the first move. He knew already that Zacchaeus was up there in the tree. And Jesus stops and he calls him by name. And not only that, he tells Zacchaeus with authority. He goes, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. You know, it's one thing to encounter somebody famous, but it's altogether another when that person already knows your name and invites himself over 
You see, Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus out when, in fact, Jesus was seeking him out. Now, there are a few lessons that we can learn from this. First, it's significant that while Jesus sees everybody, he particularly sees those who are seeking him. Zacchaeus sought Jesus in in the heart of his heart. He wanted to see Jesus. Are you seeking him today? Recognize that Jesus sees you. And secondly, Jesus knows your name. Zacchaeus surely must have been shocked and yet so comforted by Jesus calling his name. Just let that truth hit you for a moment. Jesus knows your name. Do you know that Jesus knows your name? He knows every one of you. Brandt? Eric, Zonley, Parker, Emelina, Annalise, even little Jira Grace. And he calls you by name. John 10, verse 3, reminds us the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. <laughs> Jesus knows your name. The question is, do you recognize his call? Will you respond? Third, Jesus asked to be received, and to be received rather quickly. Remember that little detail in verse 1, that Jesus was entering Jericho, he was passing through. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He was merely passing through. He had maybe a few hours. And so Zacchaeus' opportunity wasn't tomorrow, it was now, it was today. And it should remind us also that we shouldn't take for granted the opportunities that we have to hear and to, to meet Jesus. He bids you to receive him now, today. Have you received him today? You know, friends, you are not sitting here at Christ City Kitsilano by chance this morning. You're here because God's grace is at work. You're here because you have the opportunity to hear Jesus calling your name. Do you hear the voice of Jesus calling you this morning? And how will you respond? Don't delay. Fourth, Zacchaeus obeyed. Zacchaeus obeyed. He responded by obeying. Verse 6. So he, meaning Zacchaeus, hurried down, uh, hurried and came down and received him, Jesus, joyfully. Gotta love it when they use he and he, him in the same verse. (laughs) So you gotta figure out who's, uh, what what he's talking about. Verse, um, So when you recognize Jesus' call, obey, receive him joyfully. Obedience is important. A a preacher once said quite wisely, it's the truth that we obey that changes us, not the truth that we know. 
you might remember that Zacchaeus was only trying to gain a glimpse of Jesus initially. And he could have been satisfied with just seeing him, even just getting a glimpse of him. And yet he would have remained unchanged. Only in obeying him, in receiving him, was he changed. And so obedience does not just mean acknowledging him in your head. Obedience means turning from the way that we were going and going in the opposite direction toward Jesus. For Zacchaeus, that meant that he had to come down from the tree, take Jesus home, and receive him. And only in receiving Jesus did he receive salvation. And so that brings us to our third point, Zacchaeus' radical repentance. One of the great things about reading narratives like this in Luke is that it's a little bit like uh, a movie drama, right? So far, the camera has been focused in, zoomed in on Zacchaeus and Jesus. And now in verse 7, the camera pans out and we get a different view. Verse 7, and when, he, when, they, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. This is quite an ingenious sentence, actually. He's managed to communicate two things in one short sentence. Number one, Zacchaeus really is a sinner. Not only does Zacchaeus know this, but everyone else knew he was a betrayer, he was a thief. There was no mistaking it. And the contrast uh, between Zacchaeus, the sinner, and Jesus, the sinless, righteous, merciful Savior, would be um, that he would be guest of, sorry, that he would receive as a guest, it underscores the scandal of grace, the radicalness of his repentance. Zacchaeus knew that he needed a savior. The second thing that this short sentence depicts is the crowd. Despite recognizing Zacchaeus' sin, they failed to recognize their own. They were grumbling. They were murmuring. They demonstrated actually the same attitude of self-righteousness of the Israelites who grumbled in the wilderness as they were being led out of slavery in Egypt. The irony is that the crowd, while accusing Jesus of associating with a known sinner, they miss their own need for him. Recently, I was talking with a brother uh, here at Kitts about the involvement, his involvement at Jacob's Well. And for those who don't know, there's an elder in East Van called Heath. Uh, he serves as Christ City's downtown Eastside chaplain, and he runs a ministry out of Jacob's Well. And some from our church here serve at Jacob's Well. And anyway, this brother was speaking about the authenticity, how the people in the downtown Eastside really have no filters. While many might consign the people of the downtown Eastside as obvious sinners, I mean... Uh, the downtown east side is known, after all, for its prevalence of drug use, prostitution, and various other vices. This brother's comment about the open honesty of the people there was striking. There, there was no pretense. They have no pretense. And it made me think of the story of Zacchaeus. 
You see, Zacchaeus was earthly rich, and yet he was spiritually poor, and he knew it. There was no pretense with Zacchaeus. He was honest with himself. Thus his desperate need for Jesus. Here's the point. Genuine, honest people know their desperate need for Jesus. For it is those who genuinely repent, who genuinely recognize their own sin, their desperate need for Jesus, and turn that receive salvation. Jesus came to save the lost. If you insist that you're not lost, well, he can't really help you. <laughs> and likewise, the self-righteous attitude of the crowd should also convict us. How often do we hide behind our filters, our carefully constructed projections of who we want others to think that we are? We walk around thinking we know where we're going. Well, Zacchaeus obeyed. He obeyed. He received Jesus into his home and into his heart. But that's not all. Look with me at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You see, Zacchaeus' repentance was demonstrated in action. It showed in action. He desired not only to receive Jesus, he recognized not only that Jesus' worth was so much greater than his ill-acquired wealth, he recognized that repentance meant turning away from what he did and doing the opposite. Notice two things. First, he called Jesus Lord. And second, he not only committed to paying restitution, he sought to bless those that he defrauded. But on the other hand, he recognized the, um, he sought to bless those who defrauded, sorry. And you could say that on one hand, this was the cost of discipleship. But on the other hand, he recognized the immense value that Jesus offered. This immense value would far surpass any perceived loss. Clear in this statement, this statement of, if I've defrauded anyone or anything, I'd restore it fourfold. Clear in the statement was his heart, not only to right the wrongs, but to bless. His joy in Jesus was represented by his statement of payback and generosity. You know, in some sense, what he proposes is actually quite audacious. <laughs> Remember that pyramid that we talked about? I mean, imagine, to be chief tax collector, surely there are a lot of names that he has defrauded. If he began to think about it, if he began to write down, that list would be pretty long. And to repay fourfold would have most certainly bankrupted him. At least it, it would have drained him of his riches. He, it would have brought him into poverty. 
Yet he did exactly what the rich young ruler in the passage just before could not do. He recognized the immense value of Jesus' love for him. And it not only paled in comparison to his earthly riches, he knew that he had to turn away from the lordship of money, his love of money, to the lordship of Jesus. Coming back to the downtown east side and my conversation with his brother, he continued to give examples. He spoke of the generosity of these people. He spoke of how, just even this past Wednesday, that Jacob's Well had hosted a barbecue in Oppenheimer Park, and this guy who had recognized his brother, he came up to him with a, with a cup of soup that he had just gotten, and he offered it all to this brother. The transparency and vulnerability was something that shocked him. They had almost nothing, and yet they so freely gave all that they had in response to Jesus' grace. Does your faith look like that? Is it radically repentant? Is it radically generous? Is it radically action-oriented, believing Jesus as Lord? Friends, live out your faith in radical repentance, believing Jesus as Lord. Well, this passage ends with a bold assurance to Zacchaeus and a reiteration of Jesus' mission. That's our fourth point, Jesus' bold assurance. Verses 9 and 10, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus proclaims salvation to Zacchaeus, and he assures him of it. Man, that is comforting words to hear from Jesus. Jesus knew Zacchaeus. He knew his name. He knew of all his deeds, all his sin, all of the shame. He knew of the fraud, and yet he loved him. Isn't that genuine love? To be so fully known, every last part, and yet fully loved? To be truly loved means to be loved not because of what we do, but because of who we are. It means to be loved despite what we do. And in this simple declaration, Jesus tells him as much. It actually would have been particularly special what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. You see, even though he betrayed his own people, the people of Abraham, even though his people canceled him, Jesus, the true offspring of Abraham, Abraham's seed did not. It was the very people of Abraham, Abraham's race, who rejected him. And yet, in keeping with repentance, having responded in faith and repentance to the true offspring of Abraham, Jesus, Zacchaeus demonstrated what true people of Abraham do. Abraham was known for his faith, right? Zacchaeus demonstrated what the true people of Abraham do. 
the people of God do. They walk in humble, repentant faith, generous in love toward others. And Jesus' righteousness is credited to him. Love and salvation proclaimed. I've come to understand this truth much more in recent years. As I get older, I've got an increasing awareness of my own shortcomings, my own idiosyncrasies. And honestly, if I were to be loved on the basis of what I did or how I performed, I would fall short. But Christ does not love me based on what I do. But he loves me based on what he does and who I am in him. That's the story of every Christian. If you're a Christian here this morning, that is your story. And we rightly respond in faith toward him, lived out in love for one another, despite our shortcomings and our idiosyncrasies. In fact, that's what it means to be a church. We're, we're going to study in 1 Corinthians about spiritual gifts, about how God uses different people and puts them together in a church. I'm not only amazed that you all put up with me, <laughs> my quirkiness, but that you love me. Not for what I do, but simply because that is the way that Christ loves us. Well, Luke ends his narrative with a recap of Jesus' mission. Jesus came to be Messiah. Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus saw this, he recognized this, and he benefited from it. And so as we close, let me just note one more thing. Jesus did not just know Zacchaeus' shame and sin because he is God. He would know it because he himself would experience it. You see, just a few chapters later, in the story, Jesus himself would climb a tree. Not of his own accord, but because the chief priests would pay Judas, someone who followed Jesus, to betray him. Jesus, too, would be betrayed by his own people. People who cried out for him to be crucified. The occupying Roman soldiers would nail him to a tree. Jesus, too, would lose all dignity. In fact, it was his mission. The prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus would write of this coming Messiah in Isaiah 53, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, my friends, the gospel is this. This great exchange where Jesus takes our place. He takes our shame and our sin and he gives you his righteousness 
Instead, Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. Whatever the shame that you're bearing this morning, whatever the sin, Jesus knows you. He knows your pain. He's experienced it. And he calls you by name. He says, Come down, for I must stay at your house tonight. Let me take that undignified place upon that tree. Will you receive me? And if you do, he proclaims salvation upon you. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can be right with God. You can be free to love, free to be loved, to bless, to make amends, because you are no longer judged by their standards. The Church of Jesus Christ is filled with these people, misfits by the world's standards, children of God by God's standards. How would you respond to him today? Let's pray. Father, this is such a convicting and humbling passage. For in Zacchaeus, we see glimpses of ourselves. Father, I pray that you would so stir in our hearts the desire to see even a glimpse of you, and yet you offer us so much more. So, Father, I also pray that as we hear you call our name, even this morning, when we read your word, or in the quiet moments of our lives, when we spend time with you, and we hear you call our name, that we would receive you with open hands and open hearts, that we would obey, and that our obedience of faith would would be a radical repentance, would be one that is exhibited in action of love toward others. Thank you for making this possible by sending your Son. Thank you for your love. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.